Praise God. Well, we just finished a message on the progression of another gospel. And we learned uh, the first step in that progression of apostasy was the introduction of a substitute or another Jesus. So indeed, to readily accept the spirit of Antichrist, and Antichrist means against or in place of. Amen. So the spirit of Antichrist can be something that is overtly against or opposed to Christ, but it also can be an imitation of Christ. Amen. So to readily accept that spirit of Antichrist, the authentic Christ must first be demonized so that the counterfeit can be deified. Amen. And so it is if our revelation of the biblical Christ is skewed Consequently, our understanding of everything else is going to be tarnished as well. So this morning, we're going to examine an example of just that, amen, the redefining of the Pharisee. So turn to Mark's gospel. These are all introductory messages leading to the three personalities of apostasy, amen. We're going to preach or teach here on the Pharisee. And then uh, next we're going to teach on the doctrines and the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And uh, I've always wanted to teach on that. There's not a lot of information, but I've been studying it. And uh, I think it's very important as we get into the three personalities of apostasy because of Balaam. And Balaam and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, as we're going to look into, are connected. Amen. So reading here in Mark chapter 8, verse 15, and he charged them saying, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Next turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision, for we are the circumcision, which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. And that word uh, translated uh, dogs there is metaphoric for a presumptuous and scrupulous man of an impure mind that stirs and promotes deception. Evil workers, in the Greek, wicked, false teachers. And concision means to cut up and mutilate. Amen? Or really, the Judaizers is what is spoken of here. Amen? So this morning, we're going to be discussing the redefining of the Pharisee, and this will be part one. Pray with me. Father, we come to you. We need you. We need your spirit, the spirit of truth. We thank you, Lord, for the scriptures. We go to the scriptures for the truth, and we ask for your spirit, Lord God, to illuminate and to guide and to teach. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So throughout the Bible, there are certain spiritual types and patterns available for our consideration. If you want a biblical model for dead Christ-rejecting religion, none so exemplifies this spirit more than the Jewish Pharisee. Amen. The farthest thing from the spirit of Jesus 
is the spirit of religion, amen? And the Pharisees, above everything else, were religious, not spiritual, amen? Understand that. They were religious. They were playing religious games, facade, hypocrisy, amen? And they not only resisted and rejected the message and the person of Jesus Christ, they also plotted his betrayal and ultimately facilitated his murder. Thus, to call someone a Pharisee is to accuse them of being a Christ hater and a Christ murderer, amen? And that's a very serious charge indeed, amen? I've been called a Pharisee a lot, amen? <laughs> Thus, nothing is more different from Jesus than a Pharisee. Jesus' harshest words, his fiercest, fiercest spiritual battles involve the Pharisees. In our text from the Gospel of Mark, we read Jesus, amen, charging us to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And as we mentioned last week in the New Testament, leaven always represents three things, false doctrine, sin, and hypocrisy. And the Pharisees were certainly guilty of all three of these, amen. To beware suggests that we be not ignorant, but that we be discerning regarding the nature of this religious spirit. In other, in other words, we should be able to recognize and identify, amen, the spirit. There's nothing new under the sun, amen, and that spirit still exists today, and we ought to be able to discern that spirit, for it is dangerous, it is against the Lord Jesus Christ, or it is mimicking the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we know the Bible teaches that the aim of Satan is to infiltrate the church by the means of spiritual subversion. To do this, he must redefine the most fundamental spiritual reference points. Especially, he must attack the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when that transpires, Satan himself can then methodically be transformed into an angel of light. And likewise, false apostles, deceitful workers, amen, dogs, the concision, etc., and so forth, suddenly can pass themselves off as the apostles of Christ. Sadly, in such a demonically enchanted atmosphere, the Pharisee becomes a prophet, and the prophet becomes a Pharisee. So it is today in this loose, biblically illiterate age, Charges of Phariseeism abound. Today, the Pharisee has been given a facelift, amen, a new personality, amen, different character traits. He has been completely redefined. But what is Phariseeism, and who are the modern-day Pharisees? So in these two messages, we're going to learn what a Pharisee is not, amen, and according to the Scriptures, what a Pharisee is. So this morning, I will endeavor to show you what a Pharisee is not, amen? So this modern false concept of the Pharisee, and I'm sure you've heard this, and it may be, it may be stated uh, differently, but basically this is you know, their view of what a Pharisee is. There's three presumed characteristics. Legalism, criticism, and fundamentalism, amen? Legalism, criticism, and fundamentalism. So I wanna briefly just address each of these three points, 
and explain the subtle error that's been propagated. First of all, according to the modern definition, an attribute of the Pharisee, amen, is legalism, or they were legal. And that is, of course, true to a certain degree. But the problem lies with the modern-day definition of legalism. Amen. What is legalism? Uh, we recall John Wesley's words when he said, I find no such sin as legality in the Bible. The very use of the term speaks of antinomianism. And usually that's the case when someone accuses you of being a legalist, it's because they are antinomian. Mr. Wesley said, I defy all liberty, but liberty to love and serve God and fear no bondage, but bondage to sin. You see, the issue is this. If you place someone in an atmosphere, you see, if you plant a local church or you're a Christian you know, father and husband or a Christian parent, then you're seeking to establish a marriage, a family, a church according to the Bible an atmosphere that's conducive to spirituality. In other words, if you put a real Christian in that atmosphere, they're going to thrive. They're going to love it, amen? They're not gonna despise it. And so if our church, for example, or your marriage or family, if our church here really represents Christianity and you put people in here and they don't like it, there's nothing wrong with us or the word of God. There's something wrong with them. Christians love an environment, amen, where they're challenged, amen, to keep the commandments of God. It's tares that hate it. Mr. Ravenhell said, where there's something in the Bible that churches don't like, they call it legalism. So true. Today, any Christianity that demands moral change for her converts and conformity to the Bible for discipleship is smacked with the charge of bondage. So it is almost any call to obedience is viewed as legalism by the apostate church. You know, I heard people left here, they said, well, there's such pressure here. You don't want pressure? You don't want pressure? You don't want pressure to be conformed to the image of Christ? Then you're not a Christian. Well, what kind of pressure are you talking about? Someone's pressuring you to, you know, to, to, to look pretty, amen, or to, to, uh, to have a certain level of, of uh, uh, income or, uh, no, to obey the Bible, to be in a prayer meeting, amen. Yeah, that pressure is here. No apology. You don't like that? You're not a Christian. Wicked. Legalism. It's just because you don't have a heart to love Jesus. Amen? So it is almost any call to obedience is viewed as legalism, amen, by the fallen church. V. Raymond Edmonds said, ours is an undisciplined age. The old disciplines are breaking down. Above all, the disciplines of divine grace are derided as legalism or entirely unknown to a generation that is largely illiterate in the scriptures. We need the rugged strength of Christian character that can come only from discipline. Therefore, those who would genuinely pursue the higher spiritual life are often viewed as Pharisees. So understand this, that dead religion 
is a mimicking of Christianity with an unconverted or carnal heart or mind, amen? It is a facade, a spiritual veneer, and it's essentially of the world, amen? It's only a feigned spirituality. It cannot rejoice in what God rejoices in. It cannot truly love what God loves, amen? And so because it's worldly, it uses the methods of the world and an attempt to intimidate or coerce. So just like in our cancel culture, an atmosphere, amen, that rewards the so-called progressive thought is rewarded, amen? While traditionalism is viewed as, you know, someone uneducated and backwoods, amen? And so in this hour, no one wants to be seen as, you know, an uneducated redneck, amen? Or a racist, or someone calls you a bigot. That's very intimidating. It causes people, amen, to be moved, amen, from their position. Likewise, the modern apostate church Steeped in worldliness uses the same sort of tactics, insisting on an unconditional atmosphere of love and acceptance, and that is how they define Christianity. Anything other than that is called proud, haughty, and lacking love. So as Christians, we don't like to be seen as unloving. Amen? Someone called you're unloving. That's so unloving. Well, no, that's not what I... Or you're judgmental or critical or you're pharisaical. Amen, that's all used to intimidate. You know, that, that's why, you know, learned just to say, well, if, if, if I'm a Pharisee, don't wake me up. Oh, you're so angry. No, I'm furious. You have a critical spirit. Yeah, I do. I'm critical of everything outside of Jesus. In fact, I'm possessed with a critical spirit. His name is the Holy Ghost. You see, don't be intimidated. Amen, we, we've got to believe the Bible. And we, we've got to be against what's not the Bible. And I'm gonna continue to be against what's not the Bible, whether anyone likes it or not. Amen, my face is set like flint towards Zion. And by the grace of God, I refuse to turn my plow because people don't like it. Now, a careful study of the four Gospels reveals the Pharisees, amen, were anything but zealous for holiness. They had their own agenda, amen. Jesus rebuked the Jewish scribes and Pharisees saying, do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. Amen, when you say the right thing, but don't do it, you're self-deceived. When you say and don't act, what are you? You are a hypocrite. You're not someone who is really concerned about obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. So the idea that the Pharisees were zealous for obedience to God is an absolute lie. On the contrary, they were obsessed with their own doctrines their own commandments of men, their own extra biblical theology, amen, running after making false uh, converts and perverting practical doctrine and methodology, amen. Now, Christian false doctrine generally lies within two extremes. On one side of the ditch, 
legalism, amen. On the other side, licentiousness or liberalism, amen. And so what sort of doctrines, amen, are we seeing today that we could call doctrines of men? And really there's thousands of these sort of things. But these are very popular things that we hear all the time. Judge not. Now, I know that's in the Bible, but the way they present it, whenever there's moral light, amen, and the Bible is applied to them, that's a doctrine of men. Everyone sins even under grace. That's a doctrine of men and a doctrine of devils, amen. Once saved, always saved. And as we're going to see, really the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, antinomianism, amen, a very dangerous doctrine, amen. There's no perfect Bible. That's a doctrine of men. That, that's a teaching of man. And that's not just a little mistake. I mean, yeah, this is what's happened. We've become so, you know, desensitized because people are in such era. Like, if someone tells you, I'm a Christian, there's no perfect Bible. That's like saying, I'm a Christian, the devil's going to heaven. It's that bad. It's that bad! It's not some just little mistake. Oh, well, there's still... That's a terrible thought, that there's no perfect Bible. That is gross apostasy. You, you go back 100 years, nobody believed that. That's something new. That's, that's a last day thing, or, or, or granted. I mean, there are people that rejected, amen, the infallibility of Scripture, but not in the so-called church. There is little doubt the Pharisees indeed had a self-righteous, work-based spirituality. But, but so does anybody that's not in grace. So does any, they, you know, when you hear these people say, we, we try as hard as we can, well, that's what they that's what they're really trusting in, amen? They're not really trusting in the grace of God that delivers people from their sin. Remember, Jesus rebuked the scribes and the Pharisees, amen, in Luke 18, 9 through 14, and he spake this parable, unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Now this parable, amen, as the text reads, is directed to the Pharisees. So, you know, first of all, what does Jesus mean here? Is Jesus teaching that there's no moral difference between believers and unbelievers? Well, obviously not, right? Because the Bible teaches there is a great difference. So we can rule that out. Amen. That's comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. Or that we should not be thankful to be delivered from sin. 
I'm thankful I'm not an adulterer by the grace of God. I'm thankful, amen, that I am not like other lost people in this generation. There's nothing wrong with that. But I know it's not me, amen, that's done that. It's by the grace of God, amen, that I've been delivered from any sin. Any moral change that's in us is because of the grace of God, and we should acknowledge that. Amen. If we're not acknowledging that, then yes, that's self-righteous. Amen. So the key is found in the introduction to the parable. Under certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. You see, this is the thing. You don't have to be in a holiness group, amen, to quote unquote despise others. Amen. Don't you these people that come out and correct us on campus? They go back to their little groups. They despise us, amen? And they believe because of their doctrines and their commandments of men that they're right with God and we're not, amen? And so the issue here is having a wrong spirit and trusting in oneself. And the Pharisees certainly trusted in themselves, but that doesn't mean they were zealous for obedience to God. Secondly, criticism. You know, I haven't heard this as much recently. I don't know about you, <clears throat> but you know, just not that long ago, you know, if you were critical, if you had a critical spirit, oh, that was seen as, you know, pharisaical, amen. And so, uh, like nothing else, really criticism uh, signified the modern spirit of the Pharisee. You know, you have, I've been told, if I had, you know, a nickel for everyone who told me I had a critical spirit, I would be rich, amen? Well, but is that true, amen? Is it true to have a critical spirit is pharisaical? Somehow in this hour, disagreeing with anyone, boldly correcting error or reproving someone has been confused with a lack of love, even hatred, Amen. So may we understand dead religion is the devil's counterfeit for biblical Christianity. It is a sham. It is a fraud, a spiritual mirage, cleverly crafted to deceive the undiscerning. So Jesus, when teaching on the difference between true and false, the true and false convert, the true and false Christian, well, he often used parables. And within those object lessons, he often cited things similar in appearance, but different in nature. For example, sheep and goats, they have a resemblance, but they're two different creatures. Amen? To the untrained eye, wheat and tares appear as the same plant, but they come from different seed. Thus, a counterfeit is always exposed and debunked when closely compared and contrasted to the genuine that it imitates. Amen. You see, you take fool's gold and by itself, amen, it can pass for gold. But when you place it next to genuine gold, amen, it's exposed as a cheap substitute. To truly contrast two opposing parties and define their unique, unique characteristics you must find the distinct areas in which they differ, amen? So to contrast something, according to Webster's 1828, 
is to set in opposition two or more figures of a like kind with a view to show the difference or dissimilitude and to manifest the superior excellence of the one by the inferiority of the other or to exhibit the excellence of the one and the defects of the other in a more striking view. So I know, for example, in banks, they teach tellers. You take a genuine $100 bill, and that's how you expose the counterfeit. But you're not looking at the obvious agreement. You're not looking at the picture of Benjamin Franklin. But the subtle distinctions are difference between the counterfeit bill and the real bill. Hence, to understand the Pharisee, we must compare and contrast him with the Lord Jesus Christ, and we must find out how they differ. So the aim of any imitation is to be as similar to what is imitating, uh, what's being imitated as possible, so as to deceive someone. When you take someone who wants to imitate another person, then they concentrate on looking like, sounding like, acting like, taking up the peculiar or distinct mannerisms they have as closely as possible, amen, to the subject that they're imitating. The imitation is exposed not by pointing out the similarities, but the distinctions. Thus, what individual and unique traits separate the character of Jesus from the character of the Pharisees? A careful analysis reveals criticism cannot be a distinguishing mark of a pharisaical spirit. Why is this? Because Jesus was just as critical of the Pharisees as they were of him, amen? It is a similarity and not a distinction, amen? Jesus is characterized in the Gospels as being very forthright, he often reproved the Pharisees publicly. Amen, you read through Matthew 23. Amen, in that one 10-minute sermon, Jesus referred to the Pharisees as hypocrites seven times. Furthermore, he called them 12 other derogatory names ranging from blind, blind, blind guides to serpents, amen. And he also told them they were hell-bound. On the other hand, the Pharisees projected a very peaceful public image. They feigned peace while they secretly plotted to do away with the Lord Jesus. Luke 20 and 20, and they watched him and sent forth spies which should feign themselves just men that they might take hold of his words, that so they might deliver him under the power and the authority of the governor. They often flattered Jesus, but their heart was filled with hatred. Amen. They met him, amen, with proper titles. They approached him with simulated respect, but it was all a game that they played. Does that sound familiar? These religious, wimpy religionalists, amen, come out and play their little game like they're being loved. They have to put on their love and their smile, but deep inside, and you just keep pressing it, and it will manifest. They are hypocrites, amen? And you speak very plainly to them, and oh, I can't believe you're talking. I'm being honest with you. I don't agree with you at all. 
Moreover, Jesus' disagreement with the Pharisees was well known, open, documented, easily understood. When they brought him before the high priest, Jesus said, I spake openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whether the Jews always resort. And in secret have I said nothing. What askest thou me? Ask them which heard of me what I have said unto them. Behold, they know what I said. While the Pharisees' disagreement with Jesus was far more clandestine. Luke 23, 4 through 5, Then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. And they were the more fierce, saying he stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry. They gave the appearance of peace, love, and tranquility, yet they were obsessed with his demise. And it's not merely criticism that distinguishes the Pharisee, listen, but rather criticism of the biblical Jesus that defines this spirit. Did you hear me? Not criticism, but when someone attacks the truth, someone attacks the biblical Christ, someone who is passionate to undermine biblical teaching, somebody who will take time out to argue with you and wrangle with you for hours trying to convince you to lay down the truth. That is the spirit of Antichrist. And I don't care if they're a preacher. I don't care if they speak in tongues. I don't care if they've been going to church for 50 years. Anybody who spends that much time attacking the truth has a spirit that's motivating them of the devil. It's not that we're critical. And it's not that we're judgmental. Because as we know, everyone is really critical. And everyone is really judgmental. But are our criticisms and judgments in accordance with the word of God or not? If they're not, then we're Pharisees, amen? But if we are, amen, then we're not Pharisees. We are contending for the faith. Last, the Pharisee is seen as a fundamentalist. Or he puts too much of an emphasis on the written word of God. And believe it or not, this concept, very, very popular in today's church world. What, what happens when you deal with these modern apostates? They don't have any Bible. Really, that's the problem. They don't, they don't, they are not taught the Bible. That's why they don't quote the Bible, because they're not taught the Bible. They're taught all sorts of ideas all sorts of philosophies, vain philosophies, all uh, you know, pseudo-theology, et cetera, and so forth. And when they have to defend it, they have no Bible. Why is that? Because they don't esteem the Bible. The only reason someone is attracted to that is because something's wrong with them. Again, I'm not talking about someone who just got born again. We all were just born again, and a lot of us were involved in bad things and under bad teaching. But eventually, if we truly love God, what's gonna happen? We're gonna grow, we're gonna mature, we're gonna discern that. I gotta get away from this. We'll look back in the rearview mirror and say, I can't believe that I believe that. I can't believe that I even sat in a church and listened to that and didn't get up and walk out. Am I telling you the truth? Amen. So, but there's someone who just is dogmatically, you know, trying to defend something that has no Bible. If they're a real Christian, they're going to be ashamed. It's going to strike fear. Anyone who would show me something that I can't defend in the Bible, that I teach and believe, it would bother me. I would have to get to the bottom of it. 
How many have heard of Tommy Tenney? Yeah. Tommy Tenney wrote a book years ago. I'm thinking it's like five years ago. It's probably 30. Called The God Chasers. Y'all remember that? It was a really, really popular book. And really like a movement. Like the, uh, what was that prayer, you know, that prayer they came out with? Huh? Yeah, like something like that, you know. Equally as stupid, you know. Well, this is actually worse. But this is a statement that he made. And this is, you know, some time ago, mainstream. This guy's Pentecostal. He's oneness. But he, you know, came from a more holiness background even. We make a great deal out of reading the word and and its importance. But we need to remember the early church didn't have access to what we call the New Testament for many years. They didn't even have the Old Testament scriptures because those expensive scrolls were locked up in synagogues. Lie! Liar! That's a lie. Bold, brazen lie. The only scriptures they had were the verses from the law and the Psalms and the prophets that had been passed down from grandfathers and grandmothers and that only if they were Jewish believers. So what did they have? They walked and talked with him in such a rich level of intimacy that it wasn't necessary for them to pour over dusty love letters that were written long ago. They had God's love notes freshly written on their hearts. I think we almost fall into idolatry when we tend to worship the word of our God more than the God of the word. Oh, very clever. Fair speeches, amen. Just so stupid. You get into me with God, you can love that Bible. God's going to speak to you his word. And again, separating the living word, that's right here. What's the problem? separating the living word from the written word. Always satanic. Someone say something like that, stand up in the church service and call them a liar to their face. Dangerous, filthy, wicked, vile, blasphemy. But that's a common thought. To suggest, you, you could read that to 99% of these charismatics and they'd say amen to it. To suggest that the Bible could actually hinder someone's relationship with God is blasphemy. In other circles, if you quote the Bible too much, they will refer to you as Bible-bound. Now, see, here's one of these situations about you know, just being bold, because you know, this was a negative. You know, uh, they were uh, you know, basically criticizing people and reproving them by calling them Bible-bound. And uh, as many of you know, my email address is Bible-bound. Now, where did I get that? Many years ago, I don't know exactly when. It was, I think, in the 90s, 1990s. It was when I was a pastor. But uh, a friend of mine went to see Rick Joyner. How many of you know who that is? He's a He's a... Uh, was an author and a pastor in kind of the Kansas City prophet and circles and with uh, 
you know, Mike Bickle and people like that, you probably wouldn't know that, but he had like a series of books that were ultra popular at a certain time. And I had a, a preacher friend of mine that told me that he went to one of these meetings where Rick Joyner was preaching and he went up after and tried to confront him because, you know, what Rick Joyner was preaching was uh, heresy. And Rick Joyner told him, he was telling me this story, you're Bible bound. I said, what a compliment. <laughs> I wish somebody would call me Bible bound, you know. And so that's why, you know, I made my, you know, email address Bible bound, amen. Uh, you know, today we're out there on the campuses and what happened, people are reading the banners and they're saying these, you know, banners are dangerous. They're too provocative, too forthright. It's just the Bible. These are, you know, people that, you would have never heard someone say that years ago. They may have hated the Bible. They may not have agreed with the Bible. They may have been, but they wouldn't have said something like this, amen. It is the spirit of Antichrist. The clear implication with such a term like Bible bound is that if we exalt the Bible above our experience or our circumstances or our feelings, we are in bondage. Amen. In reality, amen, the Bible demands, amen, being our ultimate authority, that it trump any other means of establishing truth, whether it be by our feelings or our experience or our circumstance. Amen. So again, that's one of those things calculated to intimidate people. Amen. And we don't need to be intimidated. We need to be bold. You better believe I'm Bible bound. When I'm not Bible bound, I'm going to go to hell. Again, to suggest that Scripture is a hindrance to freedom or liberty in the Spirit is satanic. To promote a Christianity that's not solely founded on the Scriptures is antichrist. Jesus himself used the Scriptures to reveal himself. Luke 24 and 27, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the Scriptures, in all the Scriptures, the things concerning himself. Now here's God manifest in the flesh. Amen, he stands up in Luke 24. In the very beginning, amen, amen, when he came and revealed himself, he quoted the Bible. And they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened unto us the scriptures? Likewise, the apostle Paul relied solely on scripture to preach Christ. Acts 17 and 2, and Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. Nevertheless, in today's fallen pulpits, many are teaching, either directly or indirectly, that too much emphasis on the Scriptures can be dangerous. Now, here's something that Andy Stanley said. Now, I know Andy Stanley is... Yeah, people, they, they think the guy's still a Christian. You read online, you know, how these people view him, that he's, you know, he's off, but he's still a good brother. No, he's a God-hater. Demon-possessed. This is his quote. I stopped using specific language. I quit saying the Bible says, the Bible teaches, the Word of God says, the Word of God teaches. 
The Christian faith does not rise and fall on the accuracy of 66 ancient documents. The truth is Christians are not expected to believe what we believe based on a collection of ancient manuscripts written by men who never met each other over the course of hundreds of years in a time when everybody was superstitious and, be- and everyone believed in the gods and there was no modern science. That's almost like you know, showing pornography or something. It's so vile. That's, there's no word to describe how. It, just you're left speechless with someone who's going to teach something like that. But many people can receive these sort of ideas. And again, all this stuff, just like, you know, 15 years ago, if you would have said, you know, they're going to pass a law allowing sodomites to marry one another. And, of course, we may have seen some of that, you know, handwriting on the wall, if you will, but a lot of people would have never believed that that would have happened, especially if you'd gone 30 or 40 years ago, amen? Everything is degrading, amen, degenerating, spiraling worse and worse, amen? Men are being deceived, amen, and growing more and more wicked, as the Bible teaches. And that's the same thing with spiritual, you know, like pedophilia, that's going to be the next thing, amen? That they're going to, that's going to be considered, you know, a you know, sexual preference that is okay or amoral. That's the next thing. You tell people that, they don't believe it, amen? But that's exactly what they're going to do. I mean, you saw that thing that I put up on the, well, I think uh, uh, Timothy put it up on his wall first, but I'd put it up a year or two ago where they're saying, we're coming for your children. They're singing about it, their little uh, fairy choir or whatever. Uh, hey, they're bold. They're saying it now. They're coming out just unmasking themselves. Same thing with this sort of stuff. These are just forerunners of what's coming down the pike. They even say he rejects the new move of God because he's too bound by what God did in the past. Amen? You see, this is just someone standing for the Bible. And we're going to have to stand. I'm rejecting everything that's quote, unquote, new, that doesn't line up with the old, amen, (laughs) with the word. Yes, I'm unashamedly doing that. So let's set the record straight here today. Pharisees were not concerned with the scripture or biblical truth. They were only concerned with their erroneous interpretation of the scripture, which, of course, cannot be defined. As truth, Matthew 22 and 29, Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. Amen. And so, again, over the years, on the campuses, in the streets, etc., and so forth, people have accused us, I've heard it many times, overemphasis, just because you know the Bible. You know, the devil, amen, quoted the Bible. Yeah, he did quote it, but he twisted it like you're doing. And he only quit, uh, you know, quoted a few scriptures like you're doing. Like that is it. What does that mean? The Bible said, "Amen." For whom God has sent, speaketh the words of God. As if you know, Jesus wouldn't be speaking the Bible. He would just be, you know, uh, stroking my ego or, or telling me how much he loves me. No, he's going to be quoting the Bible. When someone's twisting the Bible, Amen, to justify their sin, to deceive, etc., and so forth. That's the devil. 
Listen to the words of Jesus in John chapter five. And the Father himself, which has sent me, hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. And ye have not his word abiding in you. For whom he has sent, him ye believe not. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. And ye will not come to me, that ye might have life. So notice here, Jesus doesn't indicate the Pharisees put too much emphasis on the scriptures. Quite the contrary. Actually, Jesus is rebuking them because they didn't have his word abiding in them at all. Moreover, don't be confused. Jesus didn't say that life was not in the scriptures because that would contradict the scriptures. It would even contradict his own words. And I could quote dozens of verses that link life to the word of God. But Jesus said in John 6 and 63, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. That's not what he was saying, amen? But rather that the Jews thought they had life simply because they read or studied the scriptures, yet they refused to receive what it said. They approached it with a wrong spirit, amen? They used the Bible to justify themselves rather than really be true seekers. John 5, 46 through 47. For had ye believed Moses, the Old Testament, ye would have believed me. For he wrote of me, but if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? He's saying, you don't believe the Old Testament. John 8 and 43, why do ye not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my word. And they weren't zealous for the Bible. And because I tell you the truth, he said in verse 45 of the same chapter, ye believe me not. They hated the truth because it was the truth. John 8 and 37, I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. He that is a God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not because ye are not of God. John 10, 26 through 27, ye believe not because ye are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So anyone who seeks to disesteem or otherwise turn people away from the Bible is inspired by another spirit, including the thought there's no perfect Bible. That's a devil. That is the, half God said, that is the devil. Anyone who says that, it's the devil. Colossians 3 and 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, amen, which means abundantly. 2 Timothy 3 and 15, and that from a holy child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. James 1 and 21, wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. 1 John 4 and 6, we are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Revelations 1 and 3, blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Revelations 22 and 7, Behold, I come quickly, blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. So it's a sad hour when you have to prove, amen, that the, God, that, you know, the scriptures, God's book, is the standard for Christian life and faith. So we conclude, amen, that the Pharisees we're obviously not concerned at all 
with the scriptures. In fact, they were anti-biblical. Amen. They were not zealous for the scriptures or the accuracy of scripture. They were anti-biblical. Amen. And so we're going to stop right here. This is what the Pharisee is not. Amen. And next week, Lord willing, we're going to take it up and prove what a Pharisee is by the word of God. Amen. Would you stand? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Father.